history of religious, false religious leaders, the disgust that he felt, the greed that he sensed. He overthrew those tables, the sorrow over the death of a loved one. In fact, perhaps the most uh, emotional verse of the entire Bible is Jesus wept. And yet, what's interesting about the life of Christ and especially his emotions is that not one time in Scripture does it ever say that Jesus laughed. Never says that he cracked up, you know, and just busted out laughing. Not sure he was a very joyful man. I'm sure he was he had the peace of heaven, so you know, he wasn't a stressed out emotional guy, but he and never says that he laughed. And yet the text before us today is as close to hearing Jesus laugh as any. It certainly is holy sarcasm. We might call it needling, or in today's vernacular, you might say Jesus trolling the Pharisees. He was just baiting them. And uh, it's a great uh, story. It's a story about a supper. People be invited to it, the excuses they made, and boy, then he uh, lowers the boom on them. Our wonderful, faithful evangelist and singer, Dennis Irwin, used to sing a song called The Wedding Invitation. The chorus goes something like this, what is your answer? How will you respond? The supper will be in heaven, our new home above. Here's a wedding invitation he's sending with love. And that's what this is about. It's about an invitation to the greatest supper ever. It's given to each one of us. Will you accept it? Let's bow for prayer. Father, thank you for this great passage. I have just so uh, rejoiced going over it, over it. How many times, Lord, I don't know, in prayer and in study and in thought. Thank you. Now, Lord, I pray that you will bless each one of us as we look into this great word in Christ's name. Amen. All right, let's go to verse 15, and uh, let's try reading it together. All right. Uh, Open your Bible, get your uh, electronic uh, tablets out, look at the PowerPoint. But let's see if we can read it all together. Ready, begin. And when one of them that sat at meat with him heard these things, he said unto him, Blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then said he unto him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor, and the maimed, and the halt, and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say unto you, that none of these men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. Now this story, uh, when Jesus told it, uh, in the Jewish mindset, would have been considered absolutely laughable, ridiculous, really impossible. 
Never could have there been such a scenario take place. Why? Because the guests were invited to a great supper. We're not talking about Taco Bell after church here. We're talking about an amazing, big, wonderful dinner put on by a very wealthy individual. It would have been the pinnacle of anybody's social calendar, if not the high point in their life. We're talking something like being invited to the royal wedding in England and the, uh, the reception afterwards, when important people would hold such a beautiful supper and reception. It was a, certainly a great honor to have received such an invitation. There was not only great food, there was lots of pageantry, uh, there was great music. It was just a glorious time. The Jewish lifestyle, frankly, was mostly boring. Uh, there was a, an agrarian society. They, uh, you know, most of them were um, farmers or shepherds or did something like that. They didn't have uh, things they could go to and fun all the time, didn't have uh, Netflix they could stream, you know. I mean, they just had basically a, a pretty boring life. They uh, And... Food was not easy to come by. I mean, you had to work for it. And then uh, bread was not, you couldn't just run down to the store, get a loaf of bread. I mean, you had to get that grain, you had to grind it, you had to, I mean, there's a lot of work just to even get a loaf of bread. So then to be invited to a feast where breads and all kinds of fruits and vegetables and meats and, and I mean, that alone would have been something just absolutely amazing. So to have received a reception from this great man, to have received it to a great event with all of the pageantry that would be associated with it, all the wonderful food, to get that personal invitation in a gilded envelope addressed to you personally, and then for you to accept it and then at the last minute, make a silly, ludicrous excuse. I mean, it was just an absolute hoot. It was a story, and Jesus was laying it out there. And I mean, you could just see, he was just, uh, he was trolling them, boy. I mean, he was just ring, bringing them in. He was rolling them in on a big old fish line here. And they were uh, buying into it. Now, why did Jesus tell this story? Well, let's give you the setting. And uh, the verse number one, you can kind of go back a little bit. Uh, Jesus was at a dinner. He was at a supper uh, that had been called by a, a religious leader. And let me just say, um, you know, there is true religion. James chapter one talks about, but for the most part, religion is, uh, has a bad connotation in scripture because it's a, it's a man-made substitute for the true faith of the gospel. These were part of that. They were uh, man-made religion. It was not the true religion that James talks about. They uh, did not like Jesus. Uh, they hated him, in fact, and did everything they could to destroy his ministry. And of course, eventually were successful in getting him killed. They hated Jesus Christ, did everything they could to tear down his ministry. Jesus often played right into their hands, but then would turn the tables on them as he did here. Verse number one, it came to pass as he went into the house of one of the chief Pharisees, not just a Pharisee, this was a big dog, to eat bread on the Sabbath day, they watched him. So he accepts an invitation to go to their dinner. They all are sitting there, 
you can only imagine what they must have looked like. I mean, the pharisaical garb was just elaborate. They come in with their big hats and their, all their, you know, things, uh, their phylacteries on them. And, you know, I mean, these guys were just uh, coming in there with all their regalia, walk in there and they're sitting there and it was quite a meeting. And, but they did it specifically on the Sabbath day. Because, and it just so happened there was a man close by that was sick. He was a plant, I'm sure, but he was close by there. He was sick. Jesus, of course, did what they thought he would do. He's such a compassionate person. He healed the guy. And uh, they were going to try to catch him in this because if he healed on the Sabbath day, he was working. He was working, you know, it was his job. <laughs> and he was a professional healer. And he was working on the Sabbath day, so they were going to catch him, and that boy, they were going to, they were going to show everybody, he can't be from God because he's working on the Sabbath day. Jesus took that opportunity to teach about mercy and say, uh, guys, if your ox falls in the ditch, you take it out, right? Okay, let's, uh, let's get this thing straight here. Well, he's talking about this. He's talking about compassion. He's, and then Jesus talks about this great resurrection that's coming, a resurrection of the just and a resurrection of the evil. And then out of nowhere, verse 15, apparently one of the Pharisees decides to pipe up, blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. I'm sure he just poured syrup all over that. He was just, he was just dripping with honey. Oh, isn't it going to be a wonderful day, Rabbi Jesus? When all of us here will be in heaven's glory, we'll all be together, all of us, because of our great holiness, our great goodness, we will be with God. And uh, sounds good enough, pleasant enough. Jesus, however, takes them to task. First of all, because number one, uh, he was implying that their goodness and anybody's goodness is what gets them to heaven. And second of all, he just threw Jesus under the bus because Jesus had just talked about there is a difference of the resurrection of the just and of the others. So they were saying, everybody goes to heaven. We're all going to heaven. And Jesus said, uh, no. And then he tells them a story. He said, I'm sorry, <laughs> basically, he's going to say, it's not your faith, it's not your connection to Abraham. Uh, and Jesus knew they needed loving but unmistakable correction. And Jesus never put his uh, stamp of approval on a false teacher. He never was like some today who say, oh, we all worship the same God, we're all going to be there. He's not like some leaders today who stand in agreement, for example, with this uh, 2020 presidential candidate who said, yes, you can be gay, you can uh, support abortion, and you can be a good Christian all at the same time. Jesus would not stand for that. He said, no, I'm sorry. He cared enough to be honest. That is wrong-headed, and it is anti-biblical. It's simply not true. And uh, it's not your faith that gets you to heaven. And we have this strange mindset 
I read it all the time, and any, especially when there's a tragedy that happens, like last week happened in Sri Lanka, and then even yesterday in San Diego, and a few weeks ago in, in New Zealand, and whenever someone who's a Muslim or a Catholic or even a Christian or Baptist, it makes no difference. And we all kind of get grouped into this one big thing called people of faith. And my friend, I will tell you, it is not my faith that gets me to heaven unless it is faith in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's what he's saying here. He's going he's gonna to lay it clear to them. He was saying, guys, I, don't, I know you're religious. I know you have faith. I know you think you are all got it all settled. But he said, I'm going to tell you something. It's not that way at all. And he is going to lower the boom on them, but he trolls them first. He kind of tells them this story. He divides it into four parts. Let's look at it. First of all, notice the rich provision. Verse 16. Then he said unto him, a certain man made a great supper and bade many. Now look at the lavish and rich provision for the nourishment and for the refreshment, even the entertainment of the guests. It was a great supper. Notice the operative words, great. Not just any supper. This was a big deal. This was a huge uh, gala. It was a, and it says they invited many. Now, if you decide to have a wedding and decide to have a reception and uh, you uh, decide to have a sit-down dinner, which many people do nowadays, and if you're not part of a church like the home church, uh, you're going to have to count on about $100 a head, maybe $150 a head, maybe $200 a head for a reception. And you multiply that by 100 people. Multiply that by 500 people. Folks, we're talking some serious big bucks here. This guy was out some big dollars. He invites a large number of people. Now, uh, notice here that this man is very prominent because he has the ability to do so. It's a, he invites. Uh, it's a great many people. It's a big supper. It's a big deal. So we're talking about a super great and rich provision. And in a few moments, we'll see why that means so much. And I will say this as a little, uh, as a little tidbit, that salvation is the greatest supper ever. And when you get saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, you're talking about a feast, folks. We're not talking about a little sushi roll. We're talking about a feast. My uh, precious wife and I had the privilege uh, last year of going to Missouri, and we ended up in Springfield there and went to dinner at Lambert's. If you ever in that area, go to Lambert's. That is the home of the throwed roll. That's what they advertise. You say a throwed roll, that ain't good English. Well, I'll tell you one thing, it's good eating though. And, uh, they, and it's exactly what they do. This young man walks around with a, uh, he pushes a cart, and he has a big old basket of rolls. They're hot right from the oven. And he, all you have to do is go like that. And he just tosses it all the way across the room. And you put your hand up like that. And I mean, it's just hilarious. And they actually have to audition for it. A lot of them are baseball players, you know, and the guy, he have a funny little in his take like that. And they just go and uh, whoom, across the room there. I saw one of them miss and hit the lady in the back of the head. But uh, it's all right, though, man. You get hit by a, a throwed roll. That's okay. And then they would, uh, just to make you a little bit hungry here, they would roll on. They had a big old pot of 
fried potatoes. And I mean, cooked in Crisco, not none of this other stuff. I mean, not baked, fried in onions. And then they had all kinds of greens and the biggest cinnamon rolls I've ever seen in my life, about that old big like that. And uh, if I keep going, we're going to lose the crowd. I know that. But uh, folks, what I'm telling you is heaven is going to be like Lambert's. It's, uh, it's not going down to a little sushi place and eating a little bit of kale and a pizza and, and, a, and a old salmon or eel or something. Good night. I mean, heaven's not going to be a sushi place. Trust me, it's going to be Lambert's. It's a rich provision. Verse number 16. Number two, then it is a gracious, see the gracious invitation. Verse 17, and sent his servant at supper time to, and, uh, his servant was sent. <laughs> Jesus was sent and say to them that were bidden, come, for all things are now ready. Now, historically, um, when an invitation would come, it was, uh, it was a very, very big deal. Now, folks, um, even getting a wedding invitation is always a very uh, nice thing. And nowadays, they, people make them so nice and fancy. It always uh, feels very respectful and nice to get this beautiful wedding invitation. But folks, imagine getting an invitation from the White House. And if they invite me, I'm going. I'm not going to say I don't want to go to the White House. I'm going there. But I mean, if you get a card and an envelope with your name on it, Dr. Tim Pollock, you're uh, requested uh, by the President of the United States. I'm going. Man, I'll tell you one thing. That's a beautiful thing. What if you were invited by the royals here? And so they were getting this, this personal invitation. Now, Back then, it didn't work quite like it did now, because today, if I was to get an invitation, it would give the day, it would give the time, it would give the exact location. Back then, you got an invitation, they wouldn't give you the day. They would certainly honor you and tell you, and it, they would tell you it's going to happen, but will you please accept it and, and respond so that we know, and then we will prepare, because it took a lot of time to prepare. They had, there was lots to do, and uh, people didn't have calendars to go by, they didn't have clocks to look at, they didn't have Siri to remind them, you know, every minute what time it was. I'm talking, folks say a lot of time, what, what, what day is it? Is it, honey, um, you know, Benjamin, is this, uh, is this Monday or is this Tuesday? I don't know, it's been about three cycles since the last moon, I don't, I mean, it just, it was a different day back then, so you didn't have an exact time and, a, and, a, and a, an hour. What you had to do, you had to wait. And then, and every day, the husband would say, honey, you think it's time for the supper yet? Yeah, I don't know, honey, you're driving me crazy. It'll happen when it's happening. And then and the next day, the wife would say, why aren't we getting called to the dinner yet? He'd say, it's going to happen, honey. And so back and forth, they would go. Finally, the servant would come after all the animals had been prepared, all the food, all the breads, all the desserts, everything had come together, everything had been set. Finally, they go out and they said, it is now time to come. All the entertainment is ready. Come. Now we know they have already accepted the invitation because in verse 17, it says they were already bidden. So it wasn't like uh, you know, it wasn't like just getting an invitation out of the blue and saying, I don't think I'm going to go. They had already told, yes, 
They had already been bidden, had plenty of time to say no, had plenty of time to say, I'm going to be out of the country, you know, I'm going to Rome or whatever. And, uh, but it says that they all, verse 18, with one consent began to make excuses. So after having been given this gracious invitation that the, the person didn't have to do, but out of the goodness of their heart, they invited these people and they accepted, really, but then they began to make excuses. The commanding officer was furious when nine of his GIs had been out on pass, failed to show up for the morning roll call. Not until 7 p.m. did the first man straggle in. I'm sorry, sir, the soldier explained. I had a date and lost track of the time. I missed the bus back, but I was determined to get there. And so I hired a cab halfway there. The cab broke down. I went to a farmhouse, persuaded the farmer to sell me his horse. I was riding to camp, and the animal fell over dead. I had to walk the last 10 miles, and I just got here. The colonel was skeptical, but he let him off the hook with a reprimand. However, after him, seven other stragglers in a row came with the same story. Had a date, missed the bus, hired a cab, brought a horse. By the time the ninth man reported in, the colonel was tired of it. Okay, he growled. Now, what happened to you, GI? Sir, I had this date, missed the bus back, so I hired a cab. Wait, he yelled. He said, don't tell me the cab broke down. He said, no, sir, the cab didn't break down. It's just that there were so many dead horses in the road, I had trouble getting here. (laughs) excuses, amen. Well, these people had excuses. Notice number three, then, the cold reception. First, the rich provision. Second of all, the gracious invitation. And number three, the cold reception. And they all, with one consent, began to make excuse. All of a sudden, everyone said, I can't come. I can't come. Now, okay, fine, you can't come. Well, and they did the responsible thing. You just don't tell people you can't come. The responsible thing is to at least give a, uh, you know, some sort of little answer to kind of make it feel better. But in a huge breach of common courtesy, a huge uh, violation of just uh, social awareness, and definitely against social, uh, in these ancient traditions, They said uh, no, and then began with these flimsy excuses. Now, in fact, in that day, to have uh, received an invitation, to have um, given indication you would come, and then to not show up, it actually was considered in some circles a declaration of war, that you didn't like that person. So this was a very big deal. Now, Jesus then sarcastically, he begins to troll them, verse 18. It says, and they with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must needs go see it. I pray thee, have me excused. He lying. But anyway, he decides he it needs to go look at a piece of dirt, really. So let me get this straight. We have this once in a lifetime banquet from basically a royal person. You have been given a personal invitation. You've already agreed to come. They've already made preparation And now, all of a sudden, at the last second, you have to go look at a piece of dirt. First of all, buying a piece of property is a very long process, and just all of a sudden having to go see it, I don't think so. 
And what a crazy uh, excuse. The dirt's going to be there tomorrow. Uh, you can go tomorrow. Verse 19. The other said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. Now, if you buy five yoke of oxen, that'd be like buying a small fleet of tractors. You know, when we were in the Philippines, those uh, beautiful um, oxes that they have called carabaos, very expensive in their dollars, about $10,000. So one carabao is pricey, five carabao, but we're talking about yoke. So there's actually maybe a 10 or could have been even more. So this was a wealthy landowner. So first of all, wealthy landowners are probably not going to go out and get behind an old stinky ox and make sure it works good. They do that to their servant. And then really, finally, it's probably the supper is at nighttime. So why do you have to go at nighttime and check out your oxen and get behind them, put a harness on them? No, that's a flimsy excuse. Verse 20, and another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. Now, this is the only one that is plausible right here. The only one that might have been. I mean, you get this one, right? The guy was a hempicked guy. And uh, he was saying, my honey won't let me go. I mean, I'd love to come. But my honey, she's just not going to be there. Now, the fact is, no red-blooded man would admit to that. Uh, even if you had a ring in your nose, you're just not going to admit to that, especially in that culture. It's just not going to fly. And so now, notice the great provocation. First, the rich provision then the gracious invitation, thirdly, the cold reception, and then finally, the great provocation. Verse 21, so the servant came, showed the Lord these things, and then the master of the house being angry said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor and the maimed, the halt and the blind. Now you got to know when Jesus is telling this story, these Pharisees around this table are all they're grinning, they're laughing, they're giggling. They're like, oh man, that's crazy. They probably only laughed just like you did when the guy, when he told about the guy getting married, you know, and he, they were all kind of giggling. And I, I got to admit that I, I kind of think they must've thought something was up, but you know, they're kind of dumb. They don't get things. Jesus knew what he was about ready to do. But folks, the fact is uh, the, it was a tremendous, uh, breach of uh, any kind of good manners to do what they did, to uh, even an act of provocation. And so the, the owner said, fine, we're going to, the, the, uh, it's going to go on. We're not going to cancel the, ev- uh, the event. In fact, not only will we not cancel it, we're going to make sure that every seat is filled. We're not going to have any empty seats. So if you don't want to come to that seat, fine, we're going to go out to the street people. We're going to go to the homeless We're going to go wherever we need to go to get the job done. Now, for them to do that back then, it would unheard of. Just, it's not going to happen. I mean, even today, you know, if you're an urbanite and you're, you know, a a Manhattan person or you're a downtown San Francisco, you live in some beautiful penthouse there, you know, uh, it, it takes some money. And so we're talking about going to people who are street people or maybe going way out into the suburbs or way out wherever to go. And this is just a, a crazy thing. The, uh, the Pharisees knew that uh, what Jesus was beginning to get at here. And it says, I want you to go out and I want you to bring them. I want you to bring them in. Now, why would a street person have to be brought in? First of all, they knew protocol. 
they knew that, especially in that day and age, you don't go and hang out with that upper crust. Those were religious, upper crust, rich people. I'm a commoner. I don't do that. That's, you don't do that. I just, first of all, I'm, if, you're gonna, if you're asking me to go there, you've got something up your sleeve. So a common person would say, I'm not going. No, no way, I'm not going. They're going to have to be compelled. Second of all, it was a, a rule of etiquette then, often today, that if someone does something for you, you in turn have to do that for them. So for them to receive this wonderful invitation from this rich person, they were like, uh, no, I'm not going to be on the hook for something like I, There's no way I can ever repay that rich person. And so, no, you're going to, they have to be compelled. They're not going to just come in on their own. Verse 22. And so the servant said, Lord, it has done as cows commanded, and yet there is room. There is room. Now, there's only so much room at the uh, presidential uh, to go to the White House. There's only so much room at the royal wedding and reception. But the neat thing about the Lord is the Bible says there's always room in heaven. Isn't that a great thing? Always room. There is room. I love that old hymn we like to sing. There's room at the cross. and There's room at the cross for me. Well, uh, there's always room in, in Jesus' uh, place. Verse 23 now. And the Lord said unto the servant, go out then into the highways. Go to the hedges. Go everywhere. Compel them to come in that my house may be filled. Now, the word compel is a very strong word. It's the same uh, Greek word that Jesus used when he told the disciples to get into the boat. He compelled them. We're talking about somebody who in the strongest possible argument and language is telling them, get in the boat. Here he's saying, go to the house, get there. And they're saying, I don't belong there, they, but he will, he will accept you. I don't, uh, I don't have any money. He doesn't require money. So you have to, you have to compel them. And brothers and sisters, uh, that's still the rule of soul winning today. It is compelling. We have to win them to Christ. We have to keep <clears throat> doing what we can to talk to them. What is he wanting? That my house may be filled. Did you know that Jesus likes a full house? Amen. Now, you know the pastor likes a full house, right? Amen. And the deacons like a full house, and the bookkeeper likes a full house. It usually translates into, uh, into some good things there. But fill the house. And that's what Jesus was saying. Fill the house. And sometimes people say, Pastor, why do we have to keep pushing for this? And why do we keep having these events? And why do we keep building? And why do we keep doing that? Because, folks, we're trying to fill the house. We're going to fill the house. And that's what our job to do is. Now the application. So Jesus has told this wonderful story. He's uh, got humor in it, or at least holy sarcasm. He is, uh, he is spinning it to him. And now the parable takes an entirely different direction. He, sp he spins it on a dime. Verse 24. All of a sudden, now before Jesus had been speaking in the third person, second and third person. And now he's going to the first person. Verse 24, for I say unto you, man, he's lowering the boom. Woo! Can you imagine Jesus sitting there reclining, telling this story? Everybody's kind of laughing, you know, and kind of, you know, gesturing and talking. And all of a sudden Jesus spins it. Now, gentlemen, 
He paused, dramatic pause. He looks at each one of them. I say unto you, to you, friend, and to you, and to you, and to you, I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. I say unto you, he is no longer talking fictitiously. He's no longer talking in a generalized way. He no longer is uh, speaking in parable. Now he is looking at them. <laughs> Some people don't like direct preaching. Other people flourish on it. These guys were getting uncomfortable, I'm sure. Here they are. He said, now this generous man, and they all knew what he was saying. They knew that the generous Lord who had, was so rich is none other than Father God. They knew that the servant who was sent was Jesus Christ. They know that for thousands of years they had been bidden to receive the Savior, to receive the invitation. And for the last 4,000 years, they had been given Scripture after Scripture after Scripture, prophet after prophet after prophet had come to the nation of Israel. And here they were at the great moment when Israel was about ready to be shelved, not put away, but just shelved for a season. For 4,000 years since Adam to the time of Christ, at least since Abraham to the time of Christ, they had been the recipients of God's special favor and blessings, and they had been given invitation after invitation. They had been invited to this amazing feast. They were privileged people. The Israelites were privileged while my ancestors were hanging off of trees in Scotland, and pagans were killing each other and tattooing each other and all the stuff that they were doing. These wonderful God's people were in the Canaan land worshiping the true God. They had been given so much. They had been given a gracious invitation. They had been dealt with so richly, personalized invitations to each one, every tribe, every person of Israel. And yet they were now saying, I don't want you. I don't want your invitation. And Jesus boiled down their excuses to two areas. You can write these down because really they uh, are the same excuses still people use today. The first one was their possessions, and the second one was people. It all boils down to animate things and inanimate things. And that's basically what fills the average lifestyle today. Jesus looked at them and said, gentlemen, if what you're saying is true, you are going to miss heaven's supper because you are more interested in your stuff. You're interested in your oxen. You're more interested in the land that you buy. You're more interested in your cars and your, the nice things that you have and your houses and, and all the things that you have. You're more interested in your stuff or you're more interested in your relationships. That's what's keeping you from heaven. That's what's keeping you from accepting this great thing. You know, Jesus often spoke about leaving our material possessions and leaving our human relationships behind for the sake of Christ. Matthew chapter 19, verse 29, it says, everyone that hath forsaken houses. Crazy thing when you think about it, that someone would go to hell just so that they can have a nice house. Can you imagine? Unbelievable. 
They will give up serving God, going to church, giving, all just to have a house or brethren. And these aren't bad things, nothing wrong with a house, nothing wrong with brethren or sisters, father, mother, wife, children, lands, for my namesake, shall receive an hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. Nothing is too hard in our love for Jesus Christ. Nothing is too much to give up. And that's what Jesus is saying. But I want you to look at this verse more closely. I love this verse. God said, if you'll give up anything for my name, you'll receive a hundredfold. And subsequent to that, you'll also inherit eternal life. If you put Jesus first in your life, you accept Him as Lord and Savior, you may lose out in this life, but you will gain a hundredfold in this life and in the life to come, eternal life. Folks, I will tell you, anything that we've ever given up for Jesus, we receive a hundredfold more in this life. People say, oh, I have to give up so much to become a Christian. Friend, if you've been a Christian for very long and you've been at a great Bible-believing church like this one, you will know that we don't give up anything compared to what we lost, not anything. I mean, we get a hundred times more. That's what the Apostle Paul said, Philippians chapter 3, verse 8 and 9. We asked the question to the Apostle Paul, are you sorry, Paul, that you gave up your part in the Sanhedrin? Are you sorry that you gave up your inheritance with your rich parents from the area of Tarsus? Are you sorry, perhaps, that he might have even been married? Are you sorry that your wife left you because of love for the world? Are you sorry for all that? Verse 8 of chapter 3, yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss, honestly. He said, I really don't even, doesn't bother me. For the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord, whom I have suffered the loss of all things. He lost all things, but he said, honestly, I count them but done that I may win Christ. He said to me, everything I've lost is like a big old pile of manure. He said, it's just, a, it's just, it's just manure. The things of this world, the houses, the the accolades, the positions, the power, the prestige, the, all the stuff of this world. He said, honestly, it means nothing compared to knowing Jesus Christ. And look at verse 9, because it's important to understand what he's saying. And being found in him. And when we get to heaven, we're going to be found there. I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. I just wake up and I'm found. I'm there not having my own righteousness. I didn't get here because I've been righteous or I've even obeyed the law, as wonderful as that is, but that which is through faith in Christ or of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. He was, Paul clarified over and over again to the people he ministered to that it's not your relationship to Abraham. It's not your good works. It's not your traditions. They are meaningless and here he says to them, each of them, he's looking to them and he's saying, gentlemen, you are going to miss heaven because of your possessions and because of the people in your life. Don't do it. Don't do it. And I have to say sadly this morning that the, the sad reality is that for the mostly, for the 20 million Jews that live in the world today, which of which there is, what, 15 million or so living in the Middle East, 
of the 20 million or so Jews that live in the world today, the great majority, vast majority, are people like these Pharisees. They are rejecting the gospel, and they are not going to go to heaven because they've not accepted Jesus Christ. You'd say, well, you're laying it heavy on the Jews this morning. I'm laying it heavy on all of us because it's not only the Jewish nation, it's all of us Gentiles. For all of you who are Gentiles like I am, the fact is God is uh, willing to accept us, but we have to accept the invitation. And that's what the gospel is. It is accepting the invitation of God. White collar, blue collar, educated, up and coming, down and out, it makes no difference. God is wanting to accept us, and if we will accept Him, He will take us to that great supper, that great, uh, simply a, another word for heaven. It is said that the last sermon the great evangelist D.O. Moody ever preached was on this text. In Luke 14, the title of his message was Excuses. He had left Chicago in the spring of 1899. He went to Kansas City there, and he preached in the Civic Auditorium. And the title of his message was Excuses. And before he went to Kansas City, he told the students there at the Moody Institute, he told them this. He said, I have never, ever wanted souls to be saved so much as I do right now. He said, pray for me as I go to preach in Kansas City. He did. He went there and he preached, and he preached on Luke chapter 14. But while he was preaching, he felt this severe pain in his chest. In fact, so much so that he had to walk over the organ. He had to lean on the organ while he was preaching. Without excuse, he preached on excuses. And he compelled that audience. He said, don't let any excuse <clears throat> keep you from heaven. There were 50 people saved that night, accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and as Savior. I say this morning, friend, don't let any excuse keep you from heaven. With this, I close. I thought it was very appropriate. An uh, insightful pastor wrote this. It is an invitation, and it is also a regrets letter. He said, here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to put your name here or put it in this other place. Dearest <clears throat> Tim, you were cordially invited to come to the delicious banquet of your salvation. Serving will begin at my house and will continue for eternity. I'd love for you to come and get to know me personally and join with my family. The feast is free to you because the cost has already been paid by my precious son, Jesus Christ. You receiving this personal invitation simply because I love you. Please join me and you may come and come just as you are. Sincerely, God Almighty. Please RSVP, and then it is graved with the blood of Jesus Christ. Will you accept this invitation, or will you give an excuse? It goes on to uh, give a regrets letter. Dear Jesus, on April, and I'll just put it for today, because that's what's going to happen if you don't accept Christ. On April 28, 2019, I heard your servant, Tim Pollock, invite me to come to your forgiveness for sins and for eternal salvation. I cannot come to you today because 
it just is too much of a cost. Not yours truly. And then you place your signature there. My friend, the fact is, we either say yes to the invitation or we tell him, no, I'm more interested in something else. Would you bow your heads with me, please?